Hey, Slate listeners, I'm Christina Cotarucci, the host of Slow Burn, Gaze Against Briggs. I want to tell you about a special event we're doing at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City on June 13th. To celebrate this new season of Slow Burn and Pride Month, we're hosting an exclusive live taping of the show with special guests, including civil rights activist and Black Lives Matter organizer DeRay McKesson, comedian and singer Esther Fallick, Eric Marcus, the host of Making Gay History, and Sam Fader, director of the Netflix documentary Disclosure, about the depiction of trans people in film and television. We'll dive deeper into this season and talk about the lasting impact of the Briggs Initiative and the continued fight over LGBTQ rights in schools. It'll be the perfect way to celebrate Pride Month this June with LGBTQ stories and voices across generations. Again, that's June 13th at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash slowburn. Hope to see you there. Hey there. Quick word of warning here at the top. In this show, I'm talking to a real, honest-to-goodness New Yorker, and that means he curses a little bit. So, you've been warned. Here's some things you need to know about Carlin Chan. He's a New Yorker, through and through. You can hear it in his voice. And something else. He reps Chinatown hard. On Saturday mornings, he gets up and sweeps the streets— He's been working to get murals put up. He's lived here for 60 years. Oh, Chinatown? Oh, well, I grew up here. I, I moved into the neighborhood. And I was a toddler, two, two and a half or whatever. And, and uh, I've been here since. I, I get the sense I could, like, blindfold you and, like, walk you out the door, like, go down a couple streets, and you'd still know exactly where we were. Uh, probably, yes. If I know where the starting point is, I, I could probably... Navigate through the streets, uh, you know, blindfolded. As long as you stop the traffic, I'm willing to try it. <laughs> as a kid, Carlin worked in one of the restaurants here, a dim sum place with the little carts of food being pushed around, Hong Kong style. Chinatown was a 24-7 neighborhood. Right? We had the neon lights going on Mott Street and, you know, uh, tourists uh, like, like, like uh, moths. Everybody's drawn to the bright lights, you know what I mean? He's been thinking back on that time. Because it was one of the first times he had an experience dealing with anti-Asian hate. We had certain people who tried to, you know, mug people, or we had people who were racist in nature coming in to harass the restaurants. And, you know, at, at the time, you know, we escorted them out of the neighborhood in no, you know, in, in not such a friendly way, I would say. And, they, you know, we made a statement and they didn't come back anymore. The neighborhood was safe at night. You had to be tough. Yeah, well, you can't do that. You can't escort people out of the neighborhood anymore because it's illegal. As anti-Asian crime seemed to rise over the last year, Carlin's started keeping track of every incident, one by one. The woman hit with a metal pipe on the Lower East Side. The 66-year-old man who got punched in the face. A Filipino woman on her way to church attacked in front of a luxury condo. Yeah, I have a pretty good memory. And, you know, these things, I, yeah, I don't talk about it, but, you know, I, I know what happened. I know where it happened. When I hear about something, I reach out. I send the feelers out there to see if, I, if anybody I know happens to know the victim. And, you know, let's get this out there. But to understand what it feels like to be Asian in his city right now, Carlin says, just think about what happened to him when he was asked to speak at a press conference after one of these attacks. He took the train uptown, 
got off at Times Square. And I hear someone yelling, hey, that Asian guy over there, this and this and that, you know. So I looked up and down the sidewalk. I said, hold it, I'm the only Asian guy here. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of turned around and I see a person standing on the twin yellow dividing lines right in the middle of 42nd Street, whipping out a phone. So I flipped them, I flipped them the bird, and I said, you want a good freaking picture, you know? And I started approaching the person, and, they, and the person walked away. What a New Yorker. Well, that's a typical New York response. I mean, you know, I'm not going to take this stuff from anyone. Today on the show, a very New York response to anti-Asian hate. What a year of organizing his neighbors has taught Carlin Chan. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This podcast is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you're driving, cooking, or doing laundry, Progressive knows the podcasts you listen to go best when they're bundled with another activity. Much like how their progressive home and auto policies go best when they're bundled. Having these two policies together makes taking care of your insurance easier, and it could help you save, too. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. That's a whole lot of savings and protection for your favorite podcast listening activities, like going on a road trip, cooking dinner, or even hitting the home gym. Yep, your home and your car are even easier to protect when you bundle your insurance together. Find your perfect combo. Get a home and car insurance quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. So last year, you started a block watch in Chinatown. And twice a week, you're still doing it. Thursday's one of your days. Uh, yes. We, we, we actually, we started, I started this last uh, February uh, 2020, and we were patrolling three times a week. Right? And uh, so because of the winter, you know, it's pretty cold out there. Most of our volunteers don't live in the Chinatown area. So, that, you know, they come in from all over. They come from New Jersey even. Uh, so I had to cut down the days. But, we, you know, we're going to pick it up again because, you know, apparently this is not going to ease up anytime soon. So uh, there's a need to increase the frequency of the patrols. I may actually start at the evening patrol now uh, hmm. just to address the needs. It, it's an ever-evolving uh, strategy and a plan. Take me on a walk with you and your crew. Do you have a route you do? It's a very random route throughout the neighborhood. And last weekend, uh, we I switched it up again because... Uh, being that we have a larger group last weekend, we had about 30 people, so we split into three teams, and we, we stay in contact with the, you know, the FM walkie-talkie devices. You know, this way, we're always within a block of each other in case there is an incident. Uh, but, you know, so this way we get more coverage area also. How would I know it's you? Like, what's do you guys wear identifying clothes or something else? I started with the orange safety vest. And then uh, I ordered the uh, orange polos. You now we have black hoodies now. We have, you know, I just recently made a, a, a shipment of uh, face masks. And we're, we're, I'm buying new uniforms for the uh, summer. So, so yeah, we're all in uniform. We're, we're, we're visible. 
Is there a moment from your patrols over the last year that stands out to you? Like, was there a moment where you saw something and you intervened or where something that you just keep returning to? Well, we've intervened in verbal harassment, personal abuse, you know, be making stupid remarks at uh, at people, especially the old ladies along the curb trying to sell something. You know, I would intervene and say, why why are you bothering these people? what, What has this... What has these old, you know, old women done to you? If you don't like Chinese, you don't want Asians, why are you in Chinatown in the first place? Well, you try to reason with them. You try to de-escalate the situation. We're not a bunch of vigilantes out there looking for trouble. We're not a bunch of vigilantes out there looking to racially profile people. But we're there to de-escalate the situation, intervene, and record, and help the uh, victim report it if necessary. We're just neighbors looking after neighbors. How did you start the Block Watch? Because you were saying how it's been a year since you started, but I feel like I wasn't necessarily seeing a lot of reports about anti-Asian sentiment and crimes until just the last few months. So what was, what spurred you to start a block watch back in February 2020? There were reports on uh, social media platforms that uh, the immigrants use like WeChat. So there were several muggings, uh, a couple of robberies of stores, and, and these rumors, you know, well, they're not, they weren't actually rumors, but, you know, the news spread over the the, uh, the social media platforms, and that created a lot of anxiety and fear in the neighborhood, plus the fact that our streets were so quiet. Our streets were deserted back in January of 2020. Because people were worried about COVID. People were very worried about COVID. People thought that, you know, oh, the Chinese carried this uh, virus, you know, so they avoided this neighborhood. But, you know, as I tell other people, it's a silver lining in the cloud because we, uh, all through 2020, we were number one or two from the bottom of the list of infection rate throughout New York City neighborhoods. So, you know, that's a silver lining in the cloud. Well, one of the goals of Carlin's Block Watch was to deter crime as it happened. Another goal was to simply support the Chinatown community. The Block Watchers distributed flyers, encouraging residents to wear masks, They arranged for people to get vaccinations. And Carlin's hope was that by doing these things, the folks here would trust the system a bit more and report harassment or assaults, whether the block watch was there or not. I've always advocated for people to uh, report incidents of uh, crime, whether they got mugged or whether they were harassed or whether they were attacked. Why wouldn't they do that? uh, Years ago, it was a, a language access problem. Uh, the, the city did not have a language bank at the time, but about three years ago, four years ago, they, they, they created a language bank where you can just, the city agency or the police officer on the street can call into this bank and just say Cantonese, Mandarin, uh, or whatever language, Bangladeshi. You know, so, so it makes it a little easier, but there's still a lot of hesit- hesitancy on the part of immigrants to uh, have any kind of contact with government. Also, the reporting process was, uh, it was a chore. You, if you walked into a precinct, it, you know, you'd be spending an hour and a half to two hours there trying to report a mugging. And then if you had to look through mug shots, yeah, we can count down another hour or so. Right? But the NYPD recently rolled out an, a, an online reporting system where, let's say, an immigrant can have their children or their grandchildren just report the incident online and a detective or a police officer will follow up with you. So it makes it a little more easier and also makes it a little more, you know, a little more, uh, 
uh, less intimidating. Yeah, it's interesting listening to you talk because I was going to ask you about the fact that in the year that you built up this block watch, there's been an increase in reported attacks against Asian Americans in New York City. And I was going to ask you how you looked at that in terms of the success of your group. But listening to you talk, in some ways, I feel like having more incidents reported is part of your goal. And it may be a sign that you're reaching people. Uh, exactly. My, my, whole, my whole goal was to encourage people to start reporting incidents. Because years ago, People didn't want didn't want to report this. You know, if you were verbally harassed on the street, uh, especially if you you know ESL English second language, you know, you you had no idea what they were talking about anyway. So, uh, but but it's you know if we look at 2019, I think there were one or two bias incidents against Asians in New York City. Uh, New York City has 1.4 million Asians uh, that identify as Asian. You don't think that's accurate? Oh heck no. No way is that accurate because, you know, I, I've seen more uh, personally. So how can you have two incidents of, of harassment when I've personally witnessed more? In 2020, the NYPD recorded 27 anti-Asian crimes. And even though it's only April, Carlin says the city's already on track to record more than that in 2021. These numbers don't scare him, though. To Carlin, they're a sign that the Asian-American experience is finally being documented. You know, it's good to see people are stepping forward to report these incidents because the the NYPD and also the city government needs to uh, allocate resources. They need to rec- now they're recognizing this problem. I've always said if you don't report it, it never happened, and the city agencies and police will not allocate resources to address the issue. So now the city is allocating resources. The NYPD has created uh, positive steps to address this issue of. Uh, bias incidents against Asians. So if you could advocate for one change in the response to anti-Asian hate and hate crimes right now, I'm wondering what you would advocate for. They would, I, I would advocate for them to toughen the laws on this. Because right right now, when you go into court, it's, it's kind of difficult to prove a hate crime in front of a jury if it ever gets that far. In the absence of any witnesses, multiple witnesses, uh, credible witnesses, at least. Uh, it's hard for the prosecution, the DA's office, to prove this. And, uh, you know, I, I would, you know ver- harassment as a hate crime is not really, you know, uh, an offense that's, you know, put a person behind bars. You know, the mood in this country and the mood in this city is to decarcerate. So you decarcerate, where are you going to put everybody? After the break... Why Carlin calls what he's doing community policing. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we're back. I was reading that historically the relationship between residents in Chinatown and the police has been pretty complicated. I'm wondering if you can explain that a little bit. Like, like I was reading that in the 80s and 90s, police were not viewed as kind of indifferent to locals' concerns and that folks even worried they were being taken advantage of. Right, so there was, there was a lot of uh, misunderstanding. There was a lot of mis- miscommunication, uh, which created all of distrust. And there was also the language access problem. Now we have many more uh, bilingual officers uh, assigned to this precinct and the surrounding precincts. So it makes it a little easier. They, they, are, they are making an effort to have good relations with this community. And you know, the last couple of years, yeah, I would say so. They, they, they've, they, they've make, uh, they've taken, they made big strides in, in uh, you know, uh, community policing down here. I'm kind of curious when you're out on patrol, how the folks you're walking with talk about things like defunding the police. Because I've noticed that some activists are pretty bullish on the idea of of taking money away from the police and saying, you know, this is really isn't working for our community, while others very much want the protection of the police. So what do those conversations look like when you're having them? Well, actually, um, there are no members in my in, on the Chinatown Block Watch calling for defunding the police. We we don't we don't get None. Into, we don't we don't get into partisan politics. We actually don't talk about politics at all. Hmm. I support police community, you know, uh, community policing here. I would love to see a beat cop come back onto the job. You know, they, you know decades ago there used to be a beat cop. You know, the person would, you know, these officers would walk around the neighborhood on foot, and they they get to know all the business owners. They get to know the residents. Why do you think it is that in your group there isn't conversation about defunding the police? Because it's interesting listening to you. Some of what you're doing is community building. It's it's the kind of stuff that activists who want to defund the police think is more necessary. We're community building. We're, we're also, this is a, uh, a form of community policing, uh, if you might want to call it. But, uh, you know, we, we're not there to anti-police or calling to defund the police at all. If you, if you defund the police, who's going to, who, who's going to, who's going to, uh, uh, respond to crimes? Who's going to respond to shootings or anything? There is room for reform on how the police respond to marginalized or ethnic enclaves, but, you know, uh, but defunding the police? No. Uh, I wouldn't agree with that at all. What would you change about the way the police respond to a community like yours? Well, I think they have responded well. We have uh, many bilingual officers in the different dialects, Mandarin and Cantonese, uh, the community affairs officers reaches out to the communities. They do education forums in the senior centers when they were open. Uh, they do go to the, go into the community centers. They, they they do tabling around the neighborhood. But so we should never view the police as, as a military force out there to keep us down. There is something I want to talk to you about, though, 
which is like how effective we can all expect a police response to hate crimes to be. Like I was reading about a recent anti-Asian attack in New York City, a a Chinese-American bus driver who was punched and called a slur. And the guy who attacked him, he'd been arrested more than 30 times. And he was homeless and he was mentally ill and he was being monitored by the police department. And it sort of raises the question in my head of what more can we expect police to do? Well, uh, actually, the police responded. They arrested the individual. He went to court and the court released them. So it's, you know, it's kind of frustrating sometimes because, you know, the police, the police are just there to enforce the law. And it's up to the courts there to uh, administer the law. But apparently with the bail, uh, the, the the reform packages that went in, I think it went a little too far where they took away uh, discretion from the judges. You know, they're locked in by the law, how it's written. Uh, okay, look at a person who attacked a woman and her and her daughter on the way to a to a anti Asian hate rally in Columbus Park here two weeks ago. He just got picked up again yesterday for attacking someone because he was released without bail. Now that you've started patrolling the streets with your Black Watch group, do you think you're gonna stop? Like, do you see this as a temporary thing that's responding to a crisis or something else? Uh, when I started the block watch, I was hoping to, that it would uh, kind of disband by the end of the year. But I, in the back of my head, I always knew things would get worse before it gets better. And sadly, it has turned, it has gotten worse. Uh, but, you know, uh, so probably we're going to extend this until the end of this year, at least, or until the attacks fade away. Because as, uh, I think as the city reopens more, uh, you know, we're going to have less of these attacks. So a lot of people, the verb, especially the verbal harassment, you know, people have been locked down. Many people lost their jobs. Uh, so, you know, they're frustrated sitting at home. They can't go to, uh, you know, they couldn't go to a ball game up until just a couple of days ago. They couldn't do, spend time with their family in group, large groups. So people are frustrated. Sometimes frustration always turns to anger. And, you know, sometimes when you're in a supermarket or in a store somewhere, you see an Asian person, you know, you would lash out at that person. Say, you know, you're the fucking one who, who, who caused this. You know, you're, you're the freaking person. You're, you know, your race or your ethnicity, uh, you know, caused me a year of hardship. Right? It's like the guy in, a, in, a, in Georgia. He had a bad day. I mean, that, that we're, we're, talking, we're talking institutionalized, you know, and entitlement here with, with a police captain said, oh, he had a bad day. Well, I, I got news for you. I've had 400 plus bad days. Hmm. I kinda, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that, that you're you're hoping to shut down the block watch. I was wondering if you were just going to make it a permanent fixture. Well, if if someone wants to fund this, uh, you know, I could make it a permanent fun, uh, fixture. I mean, we're all volunteers. You know, as, as the city reopens, people have... People need to get back to work. I have a solid core of 25 people who've dedicated the last 14 months to coming out and patrolling the neighborhood without any kind of reward. The only reward is the satisfaction of taking part, an active part in keeping an eye after this community. Carlin Chan, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Carlin Chan is a Chinatown resident 
and the founder of the Chinatown Block Watch. And that is our show. What Next is produced by Davis Land, Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, Elena Schwartz, and Carmel Delshad. Every day, we get a ton of help from Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict. Tomorrow, stay tuned to this feed. Lizzie O'Leary will be here with our Friday show, What Next TBD. And if you've ever wondered whether you should be getting therapy from an app, tomorrow's show is just for you. Check it out. Meanwhile, I'm Mary Harris. I will catch you back here on Monday. It's Opinion Palooza season here at Slate. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, the host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the courts and the law and the Supreme Court. As this Supreme Court term hurdles towards its close, the justices are handing down decisions that will shape our politics and our lives for years and decades to come. My team and I are putting out analysis of the biggest cases just as quickly as we can bound to our closets and fire up our laptops to speak to you. From presidential immunity to social media content regulation to domestic abusers' gun rights, we will be here unpacking the news for you. Listen to Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Josh Levine. My podcast, The Queen, tells the story of Linda Taylor. She was a con artist, a kidnapper, and maybe even a murderer. She was also given the title The Welfare Queen, and her story was used by Ronald Reagan to justify slashing aid to the poor. Now, it's time to hear her real story. Over the course of four episodes, you'll find out what was done to Linda Taylor, what she did to others, and what was done in her name. The the great lesson of this, uh, for me, is that people will come to their own conclusions based on what their prejudices are. Subscribe to The Queen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now.